Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew 23, beginning with verse 1. This is our second week studying this text, and we will finish it this week and move on. You may have noticed that we don't have air conditioning. We have no idea why. It was heating the room up when they came in this morning, so be glad that it's not spewing heat on us. Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments, and they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men rabbi. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he was in heaven. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you will feed us from your word, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is launching into a direct attack upon the religious leaders of his day. And when he attacks the religious leaders of his day, he is attacking the people that are looked up to more than anyone else in the culture. And right there, you need to be able to think outside of the cultural context we have. Because today, religious leaders, by and large, are despised. So you have to be able to transport your thinking to a time when the religious leaders were above everybody else. They were the ones that were most fond over. They were the ones that received all the glory. And Jesus is warning the sheep that belong to God against the religious leaders. And after these first few words of warning to the sheep, he then directly attacks the religious leaders And you will see that. And the attack is brutal. But we haven't gotten to the direct attack yet. We're still in the preliminary warning. And the warning begins with this. He spoke to the multitudes and the disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with one of you, and you were describing to me a conversation you in turn had had, and how in that conversation, a professor that you were studying under had denied that a categorical statement could be made about a group of people. And I want you to note in this text that Jesus is making categorical statements. Jesus is generalizing. Jesus is stereotyping. 
Jesus is lumping everybody together and saying that something negative is true of all of them. In other words, Jesus is doing the very thing that you've had it beaten into your brain that you're never to do. And so right away at the beginning, what you have to do is say, is Jesus wrong? And you say, well, that's impious. We can't ask the question. I say, you better ask the question. Because what you don't want to do is put the holy book over here and your life over here and never the twain shall meet. Was Jesus right or wrong in stereotyping? Was he right or wrong in generalizing? Was he right or wrong in labeling everybody, summing everybody, putting everybody together and saying very negative things about them? In verse 5, we see that he says about the scribes and Pharisees, not only lumping them together, but lumping all of their deeds together in this way. He says, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. And if you're honest, immediately your brain's going to go, all their deeds? Every last one of them? Really? Surely not all their deeds. In a time where we bend over backwards to guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride, to take care not to offend others, we're going to focus on saying things weakly in such a way as to avoid causing offense. When we speak and teach and preach this way, though, our goal is not to please God, but to please man. Man will be mollified by us qualifying our criticisms, not really all their deeds, but only most of their deeds. Only some of their deeds are done to be noticed by men. And this leaves every man with an out. He can think, well, an awful lot of what I do is to be seen by God, not men. But when we're intent on killing a cancer... We take the tissue around it sometimes. You don't just take the lymph nodes that are obviously cancerous. What do you take in addition to it? You take other lymph nodes just to be on the safe side. And what Jesus is doing is he's going for the cancer of pride. He's going for the cancer of sin. He's going for the cancer of self-worship. And he's saying all their deeds are done to be seen by men. Brothers and sisters, If today we see the danger of self-worship and arrogance and pride, we see the danger of replacing the worship of God with the worship of man, then we're going to be equally zealous in the way that we attack the pride and the self-seeking of man. To qualify our statements and to leave our listeners with an easy out is to scratch itching ears. Can't you just hear how men would respond to Jesus today? But Jesus, not all their deeds, certainly not all their deeds. Only some of them, Jesus. You know, you could do so much more. You could be so much more effective, Jesus, if you stopped overstating your case. And by the way, if you have a theological argument with the Pharisees and you believe that you are the Messiah and they believe that you aren't, why are you stooping to ad hominem? I mean, make the argument. Don't go for the character. What does the character have to do with it? Jesus, you could be so much more effective if you stopped overstating your case. And while I'm at it, not every scribe or Pharisee is wicked either. 
Some of them are, to be sure, but not all of them, really. You should acknowledge that there are godly scribes and Pharisees instead of making these ridiculous blanket statements, these, these absurd blanket accusations. Is that the way you think? Come on, admit it. That's how you think. Admit it. That's how every single one of us thinks. Why? Because we've sucked in our culture and we're products of our culture, not the Scriptures. And so we read this and we're not scandalized just because we know whatever Jesus says is right. It's like the little, you know, the pastor that asks the story of, you know, of the kids at the children's sermon. You know, what, what hops along the ground and has two ears that stick up and great big back legs? Little kids won't answer. Finally, a little girl says, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a bunny to me. <laughs> and that's how we approach Scripture. You know, Scripture says something, and we go, well, Jesus is right. Jesus never makes a mistake. Jesus is perfect. And then we completely miss what he's saying. We cut him slack because it's Jesus. And then we have no expectation that we'll ever meet anybody who is anything approximating any leadership that is anywhere in the New Testament. And what did I just do? Any, 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 any. I mean, the first thing you're taught in marital communication, don't ever say any or never. You know, be reasonable. Say, honey, sometimes I feel like you. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be great to have a preacher that communicated the way your marriage counselors tell you to? You know, dear brothers and sisters who pay me, <laughs> sometimes I wonder whether... You know, sometimes I feel like <laughs> it would go down much easier, wouldn't it? Jesus says they do all their deeds, all of them, every single one of them. Oh, Jesus. When I moved to Bloomington, I moved from a community that had its pride but basically was humble to a community that has its humility but basically is proud. One was a farming community. The other is an academic community. Can you guess which is which? And I started preaching. And my preaching method didn't change. And man, did I get hit. And you know what I got hit with again and again and again? I got hit with demands from academics, people who were either getting the terminal degree or were already terminal. Somebody said, ouch, thank you. <laughs> And they all said the same thing. They all said, you need to qualify your statements. Isn't that fascinating? You need to qualify your statements. Don't you realize, not everyone, not all, not always, and Jesus says what? What does Jesus actually say? You know, it's interesting. We can make our peace with Jesus, but that won't be sufficient because when we go into church history, we'll see that our fathers in the faith who came between us and Jesus make the same mistake. For instance, here's Calvin, how he sums up what Jesus said. So Calvin commenting on this text says this. He says that the Pharisees have, quote, no other concern, no, no other concern than to win men's approval and promote themselves. Calvin isn't qualifying his statement, is he? No other concern. 
You know, the thing that's true of us today is that because all the bodily functions have been far removed from us and made to smell clean, we have absolutely no idea who we are. We don't see animals slaughtered, and we don't smell the body odor of the butcher. We don't see the blood and guts under his fingernails. We don't even know what an agrarian culture is other than you study it in anthropology. Everything's clean. Everything. And the people that mediate the cleanliness and the death and dirt and blood and, and, and set up the white sheets that protect us, okay, are the people that get paid the best, our doctors. They're no longer butchers. They're no longer dentists. They're doctors, physicians. And is it any wonder that we're all proud? We have deodorant. We have deodorant for underarms, and we have deodorant for our sins. And deodorant for our sins are the preachers we hire to scratch our itching ears. And that's who we are. And if a pastor doesn't get it, it's because he's an idiot. It's not because he's principled. I remember all of these academics would approach me in a very patronizing way, explaining to me the nature of the academic world. Oh, oh, yes, yes. As if I didn't know it. As if I have no self-knowledge. Do you think I'm surprised by myself when I see it in others? I hope you're not. I'd lived in Boulder and Madison and Boston and now Bloomington. Bloomington's tame. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. The best one was a philosophy professor. I got, I don't know, two or three pages single space from him. He just graduated from another outstanding university and His first Sunday in Bloomington, he came to the church that I preached to, and he gave me a long, long letter explaining to me the nature of the academic world and how much more effective I could be if I would qualify my statements. (laughs) He never came back. And if you'd like to read the letter I wrote in response to him, I'd be happy to send it to you. Just send me an email, and I'll cut out his name. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. All of the record of the New Testament is given to us and is profitable. Every single bit of it. And one of the principal things that's profitable in the New Testament is the method. Not simply the message. We're not simply supposed to learn what doctrine we're supposed to believe, but part of the doctrine of the New Testament is the way that the Apostle Paul dealt with heresy. And we're supposed to learn from that. And so when Jesus says to them, all their deeds they do for the approval of men, we're supposed to learn that when we deal with our children, when we deal with the kids in our, in, in our school classrooms, when we teach Sunday school, when we teach the younger women, when we preach, when we elder, when we deacon, when we live as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, when we are Christians, we are supposed to be zealous for the death of our own and others' pride. Zealous. We're not supposed to leave any room, not supposed to cut any slack to ourselves first and then to the people that we care for. 
Yes, as we do it, we're to be gracious. We're to be gentlemen and ladies. But nobody is gracious or compassionate. Nobody's a gentleman who lies to the people they're rebuking. And we look at what goes on here in the religious leaders of their time, and what we see is that everything's hypocrisy. Jesus talks about the widening of, of the straps of the phylacteries, and we learned last week the phylacteries are these little boxes that they have on their left arm by their heart and on their forehead because God said that they were to inundate their children with the law of God. It was to be everywhere. It was to be the thing that, that, that their life was centered around. It was to be the ornament of their home, the ornament of their front doorposts, the ornaments of their body was to be the word of God, all right? And what they did was instead of having their hearts drawn to God through the law of God, which is the purpose of the law of God. It's to draw us to God's perfections. The law of God teaches us the nature of God. All right? Instead of having their hearts drawn by these external things that they did, what they ended up having happen was that the phylacteries were put on ever wider belts of of leather so that straps that fastened them got wider and wider. And my guess is... That like uh, ermine in the Middle Ages uh, being reserved to royalty, I'll bet that the widest straps were only sold to the religious leaders. You couldn't buy them unless you were a part of the guild. And so when somebody's a religious leader walked down the street, they had the wide straps that you couldn't get. I don't know this, but I'm just guessing because guilds always do that. They always have their union cards. You know, and so they had extra wide straps and that strap, instead of reminding you of the holiness of God, that strap reminded you of the glory of the man. In other words, instead of leading you to worship God, it led you to worship a man. Instead of leading you to godliness, it led you to idolatry. It led you to either pronouncing to people how great you were and to pronouncing to you how inferior you were to that person. And so we see everything's flipped on its head. And so, of course, if they're carrying around these straps and these straps are ever wider and their tassels are longer, what they're saying is we're superior, and they already were. They were the top dogs in that culture. They were the ones that were more important than everybody else. And so Calvin says this. He says, what ingenuity men put into concocting vainglory to hide their faults? Because, of course, if you're busy looking at the straps, you won't look at the arrogance. What ingenuity men put into concocting vainglory to hide their faults under some color of virtue, some cloak all the time, twisting the practice of God's holy commands to suit their own hypocrisy. And all of us recognize this, right? We find ourselves caring more to tell people we prayed than we cared to pray. This is not difficult for us to understand, is it? It goes on among all of us. But if the leaders are doing it, what hope is there for the people? And then Calvin says this, and again, you're going to find it offensive. He says, the example has been taken up by the papal priests whose vestments are surely nothing but marks of overweening tyranny. 
And we all go, oh, come on. Now you're anti-Catholic. Well, actually, at this particular point, I'm not. I'm just anti-vestments. And to the degree that the Catholic Church has lodged her identity in vestments, I guess that makes me anti-Catholic. I mean, do you get it? The Pope comes over here, and the Pope and the Cardinals and all the Archbishops and the Bishops, and they got all the hoopla, and none of us get it? Calvin says the example has been taken up. In other words, Calvin says what the scribes and Pharisees did then is being exactly reproduced today by the Roman Catholic Church. This is what Calvin's saying. Well, okay, we can cut Calvin some slack because the Roman Catholic Church was very bad back then. And so I say to you, okay, so then the Word of God is actually not profitable, right, today. Because you don't actually have any specific case that you can say it applies to today. <laughs> I go, man, we're good, aren't we? You know? Who does it apply to today? Well, okay, look. This is a church of people that are educated, even though I am going to say more about degrees still. Um, how many of you actually have a high school diploma? Raise your hand. Okay, now, how many of you have a college diploma? Raise your hand. Okay, now, how many of you have a master's degree? Raise your hand. Come on, put them up. Up, up, high. Okay, how many of you have a doctorate? One, two, three, four. Come on, put your arms up. Five, six. Come on, where else are you? Seven, eight, nine. No, I already counted you. All right. So what's going on with all these degrees? Well, here's the interesting thing today. Am I at the top of Bloomington? I mean, it's a joke. I'm not. It's delightful. Who is at the top of Bloomington? Clearly, at the top of Bloomington are doctorates. Clearly. Right? How many of you are seeking a doctorate? Raise your hand. Okay. Jesus says this. He says, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries, lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men, Ph.D. But it doesn't say Ph.D., does it? You know what I think the biggest mercy that God ever gave to Terry Wagner was? It was the day that her husband got booted from the Ph.D. program at UW-Madison, my alma mater. Can you imagine? David would have been insuperable if he had had a Ph.D. I love David. He's one of my dearest friends, so don't think I'm beating up on him. But I'll bet if David was here, he'd be going, he's right, he's right. I think that's what David would be doing in the pew. And last night, that's what Terry said in a room. I don't remember whether... I mean, you didn't say it quite that way, but that's, that's what you said, isn't it? I mean, you didn't say it'd be insuperable. A severe mercy, she said. Yep, it was hard. Funny thing, he had a Fulbright. He was on scholarship in Geneva with Terry. 
and with Lizzie when he got booted. Ain't that good? Of course, Terry didn't say it was a Fulbright yesterday. People, we make a big show of honoring God, and we despise the authority of pastors and elders and deacons today. Nobody could imagine a preacher today in upper-middle-class congregations having status. Now, there is a certain status, and I'll get back to that. But honestly, the status in our culture is what? It's money, it's sports achievement, and it's the terminal degree. That's what it is. It's a Ph.D. So are we better than the scribes and the Pharisees were? No. Listen to this. This is fascinating. They're putting up this Lucas Oil Stadium, right, for the Colts. And they have 7,100 club seats. And a club seat is differentiated from a regular seat because of where it's located on the field and because it has private access, access to a private club lounge with bars, video walls, and sound piped into the restrooms. And the seats are padded. And the seats are one inch wider and two more inches of leg room than the regular seats. Now, if you have more money than the club seats, then you can get a mini suite. And a mini suite is, there are 26 of them on two levels. They'll seat eight, and the price is 40000 Now, if that's not good enough, they're luxury suites, 98 of them. And they're two levels. They'll seat 21, and the price is 74500 and climbing. Now, if that isn't good enough for you, there are also eight field suites. These are 10 feet from the end zone. They will seat 21, and the price is 90000 And we read the text where Jesus says that the religious leaders are trying to put themselves above everybody else, and we feel smug, we feel superior. Because we don't do that to our preachers. Everybody knows that the preacher isn't the top of the heap today, right? So who is at the top of the heap? Have we stopped having heaps? (laughs) No. We all know who's at the top of the heap today. Who is it? Who? Oprah. Yeah, Oprah. It's personalities. It's cults. Personality cults. It's actors and actresses or If you're going to be politically correct, actors. See, I know it. I just refuse to do it. Who else? PhDs. Software engineers. Entrepreneurs. Hedge fund heads. Met one on the road as I walked out of my house this morning. He's going to Minneapolis to become a hedge fund manager. So let me ask you a question. Do you think America is better off today because the people we worship have made money or are good at sports or have the terminal degree than they were at the time of Christ when the people that led the worship of God, the true worship of God, were the ones that were honored? Are we actually better? You get my point? We haven't stopped worshiping men, and we haven't stopped having men claim our worship, have we? But now nobody even has the nobody even claims it's about God. I mean, to heck with God. 
To heck with worship. To heck with religion. Today, it's about money, and it's about how long you live and how good you are at sports and how many people you can bark at and they'll cringe. And how many housewives think that you're in touch with your feelings and fully integrated as a woman? I mean, isn't that what Oprah's all about? And we think we're better. And what has really happened is that we've turned completely away from God and we've made our idols into people that make no claim of having anything to do with God himself or with his word or with his worship. They call themselves rabbi and they love to be called rabbi, which is teacher. I think this came and hit me hardest one time when I was out at a meeting at Wycliffe Bible Translators. We were meeting with the leaders of Wycliffe to try to get them not to remove all the sex markings of Scripture. And there were about eight eight or ten of us there. The head of the Seed Project, which is a, a, a particular part of Wycliffe, the head of Wycliffe itself, the head of uh, SIL, Katie Barnwell, uh, was there. Uh, Vern Poitras from Westminster Seminary, Joel Belts from World Magazine, myself, a guy from Focus on the Family. Um, there were a few other people. I can't remember who they were. And when we got there out in Huntington Beach as their headquarters, they sat us around a bunch of tables. And in the table, right in front of each of our places, was a card that had been hand-lettered with our names on it to show us where we were to sit. And can any of you guess what I'm about to tell you? What do you think the cards in front of the people who had gotten the terminal degree said? They all said, Dr. Dr. Vern Poitras, Dr. Katie Barnwell. But the men who had had hands laid on them and set apart to gospel ministry, to guard the good deposit, what do you think their card said? Do you think the card said reverend? Do you think they said pastor? You think they said elder? No. Tim Bailey. Not Mr. But just Tim Bailey. Now you can say this is sour grapes and it's envy. And I have a lot of envies, but an envy of a PhD or a D-men or an EDD is not one of them. I was scandalized for the church of Jesus Christ that the principal guardian of the text of Scripture in the entire world today had not the faintest clue about the authority of men sitting around that table. The only authority they recognized was the authority of having completed a a course of study and having received the imprimatur of the sacred priests of our culture. And then when a pastor puts reverend in front of his name, we're scandalized. Do you know what happens in the church today? All, all, all the pastors are, are, are into demon possession today. All of them. But that's not D-E-M-O-N. That's D period M-I-N. A doctorate of ministry. And they're all, and I learned that from Charles Schaffel at Gordon-Conwell. He said demon possession is huge in the church today. And he, he didn't laugh when he said it. You go over to Scotland and you get a doctorate of theology. 
or you stay in this country and get a Ph.D. or a Th.D. And if you can't do that, then you get a D-men. And if you can't do that, then you get an EDD. And we all know this, and now some of you are angry I said it, but we all know it. It's true, all right? And what happens is then when a pastor has the doctorate, he gets the beautiful church. What's referred to in Presbyterian circles is the tall steeple. Okay? He gets the nice car. He gets the large salary. He gets the most people. He gets the contracts and the advances for the books. Do you understand this? Why? And do you know what he then does? He never refers to himself as Reverend Timothy Bailey. He refers to him as he refers to himself as Dr. Timothy Bailey. And then if there's a certain sort of suave kind of cool hep factor to him, he'll allow people to call him Doc. And his email will say docbailey at gmail.com. It's, you guys, why do you, why do you do that? And you say, me? <laughs> I'm not doing it. You're the ones that are doing it. I say, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're doing it. Do you know what it says in Jeremiah? It's talking about the false shepherds, and it says this about them. It says, shall I not punish these people, declares the Lord, on a nation such as this, Jeremiah 5, verse 29, on a nation such as this, shall I not avenge myself? An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule on their own authority. And do you know what's coming? And my people love it so. You eat it up. You love to brag about your pastor. Doctor. Now, we are really perverse. And if I failed to keep going here, I'd be like despicable, not even worth swallowing. You should spit me out of your mouth. Because in this church, this isn't really our problem. Our problem in this church is that we brag about the courage of our pastor. We say we are a people that want a real pastor. And I brag about being a real pastor. So that absolutely everything we do in religion today, in one form or another, sooner or later, comes down to me. And instead of worship being the worship of God, it's the worship of man. And that's what the United States is filled with. And that's why there's no power. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. I remember when I was in seminary, I wanted Brooks Brothers suits because, of course, as I've told you, I understand these things. And I'd read R.C. Sproul's novel, and I knew he wore Brooks Brothers suits, so I wore My father wore so I. But I didn't have the money. We were dog poor. And so you know what I did? I went down to the local resale shops in Manchester-by-the-Sea. If you've ever been on the North Shore of Boston, you know that those real resale shops had lots of Brooks Brothers suits in them. And I found lots of suits that fit me, and they were all Brooks Brothers and I was so proud of my Brooks Brothers suits. But, of course, I was even prouder of the fact that I hadn't paid what the men paid that originally bought those suits. Am I any better than those men? I'm not. 
pride is infinitely complex and sophisticated and wicked. Right? Right? If you know yourself, you should be going, yeah, right. It's just unbelievably uh, resourceful. (laughs) And the resource is me! (laughs) Come on, laugh. 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 You all should be laughing at yourself. And me. Because laughter is only Christians can laugh. Really? Because only Christians can admit the unbelievable chasm between what God made us to be and what we are. Everybody else has to lie about it. We get the leaders that we deserve. We get the pastors, the presidents, the vice presidents, the senators, the congressmen. We get the ones we deserve. I know congress people i know i know we get the ones we deserve the bible says that they'll surround themselves in the last days with preachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear and so yeah you can blame the religious leaders but you're blameworthy yourselves and now one last thing i'm not quite done yet how does the text end the text ends by saying what at the very end it says, and I have to find the end or the beginning. At the very end, it says, Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ, but the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, remember how I told you our pride is infinitely resourceful? The most priceless hypocrisy today is all the talk of servant leadership. Because when people talk about servant leadership today, what they really mean is no servanthood and absolutely no leadership. Servant leadership today is the cover that men who refuse to be accountable to God For those under their stewardship, the men who refuse to protect them, servant leadership is what they use to hide their guilt, their blood guilt. The Apostle Paul said, I don't have any of your blood on my hands. Acts 20, I didn't fail to say anything to you that God told me to say to you. But the servant leader says, he who would be greatest among you must be the servant of all. And you know what he's doing when he's supposed to be preaching God's word to you in such a way that you leave spitting mad at him? You know what he's doing? He's over in the bathroom cleaning a toilet, and he's despicable. And he covers his blood guilt with talk of servant leadership. He's such a reasonable man. He's such an emergent man. He's a man made for our time. We no longer will accept authority, arrogance, pride. Today, our leaders are in the bathroom cleaning toilets when they're supposed to be protecting us from the wolves. Every single thing about this text, we flipped on its head. All the leadership and all the honor and glory today is nowhere near the church. It's out in the secular culture. It belongs to the secular priesthood. And we we make a big show of how today in the church we don't honor any man. (laughs) 
like, and do you think I mind? No, I actually like it because there's less weight on me. Think about this. You know who the real servant leader is? The real servant leader is the man who spanks his daughter while his wife leads a mutiny of the rest of the family and does it with perfect equanimity, no temper. Nope, nope, can't get me on that one. It's not that he's irritated. It's not that he's angry. It's not that he has some child psychological issue with his father that he's working out with his son. It's that the child needs to be disciplined and he will not give in. And his wife will hate him and his children will hate him. Everybody will hate him. But that man refuses to be complicitous in his wife's sin. He refuses to connive at the arrogance of the culture. He refuses to scratch itching ears. And he actually says to a man of the church, Ow! Ow! You know what somebody said to me this last week? Somebody said that after our elders had the godliness to expel a man from this church, that that man's relatives attacked our elders as being the head of a cult. You know why our elders are attacked as being cult leaders? Because our nation is filled with men that God has called to guard the flock, and they are unfaithful. They're copying postures as being humble servants. And so our elders look like monsters when they're just boringly normal all through history. And I'm telling you this because, guess what? This one time I was not accused of being a cult leader. Just once I escaped. (laughs) It's our nasty elders. (laughs) How does it make you feel? You're a cult leader. And you have a doctorate, too. That's two. Yeah. (laughs) Listen. People, if you'll start with being suspicious of your own heart, any of you getting doctorates, be suspicious of yourself. I'm not saying you shouldn't get doctorates. I do believe that many of you should have doctorates. I'm not going to go to Lawrence if he doesn't have a doctorate. (laughs) Okay. Don't twist my words. Don't twist my words. You can't come to me and have me approve of your doctrine. I won't do it. But you better be prepared to answer to God for it. You better be prepared to say to God, by faith, I'm getting this PhD. And if it's not by faith, it is sin. And when you have pastors that refer to themselves as doctor and not reverend, and you say, well, reverend, what's that? Reverend is a way that you signal people that the church, the church, has laid hands on you and set you apart to the gospel ministry. That's all it is. If you have a pastor that just wants to be one of the boys or wants to be one of the doctor boys, you've chosen your poison. If you choose a church because it's called First Presbyterian Church. I was in a town where it was only 1,500 people, and the church I pastored was First Presbyterian Church. There was no second. But if there ever came one along, you bet we were first. 
If you choose a church because of the building, how beautiful it is, because of how many cool people and beautiful people go there, because of the reputation of the preacher, because of how many books he's written, because of the size of the budget, because of the size of the campus, because of all these things that you choose your religious leaders on the basis of, you have chosen your poison. And if you come back on a vacation and you visit us and you say, you know, I'm not convicted, I'm going to go, duh, duh, (laughs) show me the picture of your church. Or better yet, just show me the website. If it has the picture of the church on it, you shouldn't go there. (laughs) All right, I didn't really mean that. Sometimes... In certain cases, bring me the picture. I can tell you. Actually, we are going to have a website that's going to have a picture of this church on it. Isn't that right? Where's Ben? Ben isn't here. Because this summer we're throwing a box bash. And it's going to have a picture of the box. But, of course, that could be pride. Look how humble we are. We have a box. Listen, the point is, you have to stand before God. And you will give an account for the preachers you chose. You will be given an account for the times that you let your wife make you into a servant leader instead of a father. You will be accountable for the degrees that you accumulated and used to diminish other people. You will be accountable for the fawning you did over people that have degrees. You'll be accountable for it all. Let's pray.